That was Nitrous with Hot Pursuit, and he's a uh, Toronto artist, absolutely. My name is Karin Zoe Lee, you're listening to Night Ride FM, and tonight my guest of honor is Damocles. Um, last month he released an EP called Gravity, and we're, we're going to hear some of that, and then we're going to have him on. But I've got some new singles I want you to hear, like this one from Watch Out for Snakes called Fight Those Invisible Ninjas. <laughs>
watch out for snakes with fight those invisible ninjas good lord i can't wait to see him live that's gonna be fun one of my locals vervum sent me something brand new this is a single called a modern day tragedy <laughs> Industrial influences 
Let's keep that face melting going. I got a new one from Eden Future. I hope it's okay I play this. I'm going to anyway. It's brand new. He just sent it to me. This is a song called True Love. <laughs>
love, and uh, I happen to have the exclusive knowledge that he cranked this one out after a very successful date. So, congratulations, Eden. <laughs> Eden's on the uh, Retro Reverb Records label, and uh, they just uh, announced their new artist, Daniel Hugh, and he came out with this single, Demons. Reverb Records, so check him out. Uh, up next, we have an independent artist, Atomic Pines. He is my local. I played this for North America. I'm going to play it for you. This is Atomic Pines with Fog. Yeah. 
stage with Vervum. They're both our locals, so why not? All right, Aztec Records is uh, was released a pre-order for the deluxe version of Believer by Lau, and she did this single as a compilation with another Aztec artist, Friday Night Firefight, called Now I'm In It.
Sword did the remix. Thank you. 
by Wave Shaper, specifically the Magic Sword remix that was released last night. So I got one more song for you before I bring on my guest of honor. And of course, it is his song. This uh, was Gravity, the uh, EP from Damocles. And this is the titular track.
nobody's happening from the dust to a galaxy. Galaxy. It applies to your life when your goals are exact. Everything's got its gravity. Gravity. That's the reason why life is so challenging from the dust to a galaxy. Galaxy. More you have and the more you are likely to get. Everything's got its gravity. Gravity. Everything's got its gravity. Gravity. Everything's got its gravity. Gravity. That was Damocles with Gravity from his new EP, Gravity. And I have here with me the man of the hour himself. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been a, I think it's been a long time coming. Goodness, you've got, you've got so much history just within the scene. I feel like I should know you by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, we kind of know each other, you know, from the social media world. Yeah, so... Uh, Tell me about, about this new EP, Gravity, came out in uh, December. Talking about gravity as a concept, I think it's a, it's a journey through the 80s, starting with the very beginning of the 80s and ending at the very end of the 80s when it comes to styles, influences. When you listen to the song that's called Gravity, it's uh, almost 70s in its style. And when you listen to to uh, the last track on the EP, it's it's touching the early house and uh, that kind of feel, uh, even acid stuff like you know, uh, it's touching that. Uh, I'm, I'm not deciding to do a specific style, but I came to realize that these tracks are kind of milestones over the decade. Okay. So I put them in order of what I felt was the proper position of the decade. <laughs> okay. So we start with Gravity at the beginning of the 80s, and um, what was that last track? Flavors? Yeah. Are we coming out like 89 at that point? Yeah, exactly. Um, then the, you will hear, you know, the early touches of House and Acid in, in the music there. And uh, it's, a, it's a very big difference when it comes to the style. One of the tracks that surprised me on, on that EP was um, Go On Ahead, because uh, I never intended that to be a rock track, but... Obviously, it intended to be a rocky track. Somebody has told me it's not a rock track, but in my in my perspective, it's a it's a rocky track, so to speak. It's got this uh, distorted guitar and the beat style uh, of a rock track of the '80s, but it didn't start off like that. So that has made a very big bend over the process of making it real. One thing about my tracks is that lyrics are important to me. Uh, maybe that comes across when you listen to it, but um, many people write lyrics about, you know, um, the sky is blue, uh, the sun is warm, I, I love you, um, and doesn't really work for me. When it comes to, to um, the last track, well, it's, it's about just words, so the lyrics is not so very big issue, but when it comes to gravity, it's 
an epiphany I've had about, you know, uh, that everything has gravity. Not just planets, but people, um, feelings, uh, art. And as I conclude, some things are easier to reach uh, critical mass of gravity with than other things. Like hate accumulates very quickly. We've seen this on the planet uh, for the past year. While love and art is more difficult to get gravity enough to make things happen. Uh, people are talking about billionaires. Well, I've been told that the most difficult part is to make your first million. I haven't made it yet. I'm still working on it. But once you've reached critical mass of fortune, it works by itself. And that goes for many things. Uh, when it comes to fame, people look at people who be who've become famous when it comes to music or art or what have you. They don't realize how far a journey they made before that moment of fame. And they think, ah, I could have done that. But it's uh, a long life journey uh, to many moments of fame. Okay. So that's uh, gravity. Very profound, isn't it? Um, the track uh, uh, that's called, um, I forget the names of my tracks. But anyways, the rock track uh, that's uh, Go, go, go on ahead. ahead. It's about, you know, people bullying you telling you what you should be like and what you shouldn't do, what you should do. There are so many of those around and have been in my life at time trying to hold you down, put you down. And today I feel that I can say, you know, bring me your best shot because I'm going to do what I'm doing anyway. It hasn't always felt like that. And um, so it's uh, kind of an advice, I suppose, to people being put down. And then there is uh, the track that's... Um, starting off like ABBA inspired I suppose um, it's about something that um, Dalai Lama said once he said people live their lives as though they are never going to die and then they die without ever having lived oh now or never yeah uh, so it's it's kind of a, a spin-off on on the thoughts of Dalai Lama because I see that a lot going around people career living as it were I'm going to do this first and then I'm going to do that because then I can do this and they forget to live. So I'm trying to, uh, today I'm trying to write lyrics that mean something to me. Um, if you listen to my early works, it's lyrics about science fiction or some kind of technology or science. Uh, things that does not uh, expose me. But in that way I've evolved because I have no problem exposing myself. But I will not expose my loved ones, family, stuff like that, but I can expose myself. I've come to the conclusion that I shouldn't be making albums anymore because it takes a lot, lot of time and effort to make an album and also people don't seem to have the focus enough to listen to an entire album anyway. So my new patent, as it were, is to make two EPs a year instead of full albums. And that brings a bit more liberty when it comes to what tracks can be on the on the record, so to speak. That's why it's an EP. And an EP, well, that could be two songs or four songs, or in my case, six tracks is kind of a good idea, I think. Okay. And uh, when did you decide that albums were too much? Was that just the, the last one? Well, it's just um, looking at statistics of people listening to, to my albums. Uh, they start with the first track and then they listen to a few tracks and then it wears off at the end. So people don't really listen through an album anymore. Back in the day when we used to have hardware and uh, digital was just a dream, 
we we listen to entire albums and then we flip the record over listen to the b-side and then we started all over again also reading all texts and looking at all the pictures on, on the on the uh, cover art and what have you but today uh consuming music has become quite different i agree i agree what with playlists and all the, the digital options to mix and match it's so much yeah. easier to switch from one artist to another yeah and making an album um people don't realize this but you need to make at least in my opinion make every track sound coherent with each other so the more tracks you have the longer that process will take uh so an ep is uh, easier time wise so i i've been curious for a couple years now um why why damocles is there something with that story the greek story yes um it's actually a two part story um i was working in the web industry in the uh, late 90s 97 i think it was and i was astonished that the dot com names were like going like wildfire so one evening i started to think that must be something that is still available i got dropped lost in that that uh, rabbit hole as it were and spent hours typing the weirdest words i could come up with and uh, realizing it was already taken and for some reason i typed damocles with a k and it was available and without knowing why i bought it 2 years later in 99 i needed a new artist name as it were because uh, the name i had used before um well it didn't fit the bill according to me so i thought yeah so what should i call myself now that i've started to release music again and i thought well i have this domain name so um if i take that i don't have the hustle of of trying to find something that is available again so therefore damocles but it actually comes from a computer game on an, on the atari way way back when uh, a game called i think it was the damocles files or at least the damocles files were was part of it it was about this guy who was the only living uh, human being in in the known universe <laughs> trying to find uh, information of uh, where everybody went so he's traveling around on planets trying to find uh, clues in the damocles files so uh, it was probably because of that um, i stumbled upon you know typing the name and the rest is history but when when it comes to names it's what you fill it with that really matters like if you take a name like duran duran they 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 saw the film dune and there was a guy called duran duran so they thought that was cool and took that name before they filled it with what we now feel when somebody says duran duran it was an empty name uh, same with level 42 that was um from a bomber i think a b42 and same for the b b b52s no, hi anyway so uh, there is a story behind every name why they came up with it but it's what they actually filled it with that gave it value yeah you can see that i was wondering what the connection was to you know the uh, the, the old greek story about uh, damocles sitting with the the sword above his head hung by a horse hair yeah i i i love the story i mean like it's is about envy um we, right now there's a lot of talk about billionaires so why should they have all that much money so it's about envy right you know and uh, back in syracuse a couple of thousand years uh before our time um there was this guy in the court of um uh, dionysus and he, this guy was very envious of the king 
Uh, why should the king have, have all the glory and money and women and everything? So the king got annoyed and um, he said, okay, on this party that we're going to have tonight, you will be sitting in my, in my throne and enjoying all the glory that comes with being a king. Is that, is that cool? And Damocles says, yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, and uh, he sat down in the throne and they started hanging up this sword over his head. So, so what's going on with the sword then? Well, you know, being a king is not just glory and women and food and everything. It's also the ever-present danger of your life. So this sword will represent this during the evening. But do enjoy it. Uh, so when we look at people and we envy them, we envy them just parts of their lives, not the entire story and in my, many people's lives there are tragic stories and dark stories but we just want this part of it like it's an apple on an apple tree we st should mm -hmm. start appreciating what we have instead i think i like that i like that i wondered how that tied in to you but then you had this whole cool internet story there is a story how much of it that was you know made during during having it and how much that was actually there when i took it i can't answer but um i stick with it <laughs> i like it you made something of it yeah uh, as i said it's what you fill something with that gives it value um, otherwise you could have the coolest name and uh, it will become without value because you don't fill it with anything See the people walking by So many souls asleep Just doing what they're told now When I look up I see the sun up in the sky I feel alive and free I can do anything With every moment that passes by I am enjoying the ride Now I'm never Try to see the wonder
There's no time for hesitation Believe in yourself It is now we're living here Get up the track Get away from that narration Jump up the shelter And just live your dream today, my friend Always going on forever And then in the end They haven't even lived a single day I think you should treat each moment Like you have it now or never Try to see the wonders now Before they go away Some people just leave their lives It's always going I live by two rules, uh, and I'm very specific about it. Whatever has been done by humans before me, I can do because I'm human. That's rule number one. Okay. And whatever has not yet been done, I can be the first doing. That's rule number two. Two very important rules, and I live by them very, very specifically. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is that don't look, look too much at what people have done before. Look at what you can do with what you have at hand. I mean, like, in the synthwave movement, we see a lot of neon going on, we see a lot of laser going on, we see a lot of 80s this and that going on, and name-wise. But if you, if you repeat what everybody has been doing, you become cliché, and it starts becoming very difficult to, to differ one from the other. And who is that midnight, 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 neon, 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 laser 80s guy? <laughs> I think, even though I've, over the years, I've been thinking uh, maybe Damocles wasn't such a great idea, I've come to the conclusion it is good because it differs from everything else. I agree. And then it's the pronunciation issue. I've been Damocles <laughs> and many different pronunciations, but then... You know, that also makes it interesting. In my own language, I don't pronounce it Damocles at all. <laughs> I pronounce it Damocles. 
So you have you have a situation that uh, back in the eighties there was uh, an, an artist called Sade. Oh, yeah. right. Say uh, <laughs> yeah, say you know, smooth operator. Uh, and I was I was um, as you are a record uh, a radio DJ back in the day, and I introduced her as Sade. Oh no. But, you know, I wasn't the only one on the planet. Brings much more to the story, I think. I, I agree. <laughs> Even if you choose what you think is an international name, uh, i.e. English, um, there will be countries where that is not pronounced in the way that you thought it was going to be pronounced anyway. So um, I think, you know... Uh, Regardless of how people pronounce your name, the important thing is that they actually are talking about you. So, I guess, going back, um, how old were you when you picked up your first instrument? Well, um, as the story goes, I was playing on everything, uh, not with myself, but with everything. I got my first electric organ when I was seven. Oh. Never got a piano, actually. So I was envious of everybody who had pianos. And I played them every time I got the opportunity. But I had an organ. And it actually had an early kind of drum machine as well into it. And uh, So I got into, into the synthetics at the age of seven. Way back, way back. Oh, wow. That's when you started synthesizing? That's really early. Uh, well, you might say it was synthesizing because it was a drum box, right? You know, with synthesized sounds. It was an electric electric organ, so it was electronically made. But it wasn't a synth per se. Uh, okay. the, first, the first synth I bought was, um, I think, in 79 or 80. Okay. And was that when you started doing, like, live performances and... Seriously writing? Yeah, in 81, I, I uh, fused synthesizers and drum machines into my DJ act and uh, was mixing and playing, performing at the same time. Okay. Nobody understood what I was doing. Yeah, it was just more for me than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it should be. And then other people will decide they like what you do and they'll get on board. And that's, you know, that's a real fan. Yeah, I was a bit too early, I think, because, you know, people wanted Springsteen and a beer uh, rather than hearing some complex mixing techniques. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that might depend on your audience, too. I mm -hmm. don't know. At the time, I realized that in a, an entire country, I might have an audience of 10 who actually understands what I'm trying to do. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that never stopped me. So, so when did you go pro? That was 81? Uh, uh, as a DJ, well, pro is, is um, an interesting word. I, just, I suppose pro is when you make a bigger part of, of the money you need to live okay. from what you're doing. I suppose that. So um, I would say that was in 1983 uh, when I graduated. And um, two weeks later, I was a DJ in Tenerife. And from that moment, I was making most of my money from doing DJ and also being a musician. Were you ever part of a band? Have you always been solo? Uh, I have been part of bands, um, uh, a rock band for a, for a time there and a Swedish dance band for half a year. Uh, you don't probably know what Swedish dance band music is, but if you take uh, American country music and uh, make it very, very cheesy, uh, then you will have dance band music um 
American country is very cheesy. Yeah, but double that, you know, and、uh, <laughs> then, then you'll have it.、Uh, so I actually did that because I realized, you know,、um, that's one of the few th- things I have not done.、Uh, and then after half a year, I realized why. I've come to the conclusion that music needs to be fun.、Uh, the moment music is not fun anymore, you're doing it wrong. For a long time, I, I was looking down on people just playing weekends、uh, while I was like, you know,、uh, professional seven days a week. And then I started to, I, I worked so hard. So I, I kind of, you know,、uh, burnt out in a way, not having what it took anymore. And then I realized that、uh, they were right all along. Those guys just playing weekends、uh, and having regular jobs, so to speak, because they did it because it was fun.、Uh, and I did it because it said so in a contract. Oh. So somewhere along the line, when you become too professional, you kill the art. Gotcha. Is it because the output is, is for somebody else and their expectations and not so much for yours anymore? Yeah, and、uh, I came to the point where I didn't have anything to give anymore、uh, when it comes to you know, bleeding out your heart, so to speak. But still, it said in the contract that I needed to do it. So it drained me for a while there until I realized I didn't want to do it anymore. And、um, I started as a salesman instead. <laughs> I didn't write. Uh, a note for six years didn't touch your keyboard. Oh, goodness. Never go too much pro. <laughs> It's not a good thing. <laughs> what, what were you selling for those six years, if I can ask? Oh,、uh, different stuff, actually. I, I started selling、um, stamps without value.、Uh, you know. That's a hard sell. <laughs> yeah, but, you know,、uh, things for, for charity,、uh, you know,、okay. World Wildlife Fund and.、Uh, Stuff like that. People put it on, on, on their envelopes just to show that they were supporting something, stuff like that. And,、um, uh, and I've been selling you know, vacuum cleaners and uh, uh, China, uh, different things. But as it turned out, it, being a salesman also was very draining. So I, I stopped doing that. And、um, back in 95, I think it was, yeah, 95, I joined the、uh, internet train. And I've been on that since then,、um, working with、um, the World Wide Web, digital marketing, and stuff like that. Yeah, you mentioned that, that marketing is a strong suit for you. And I think that, I mean, obviously that's helping you in your, your music as well.、Uh, yeah,、um, I couldn't imagine how I would pay people for doing what I need to do in order to make myself heard. I am astonished over people that you know, actually do this. Where, where does all that money come from? You know, people paying for cover art and paying for animations and paying for websites and paying for all that goes with trying to make yourself heard and, and viewed, as it were. So I'm, I'm fortunate that I can do it all myself. Oh, that's great. When it comes to the music I make, people are calling it Synthwave today, but I was actually making it already my first release back in 1987. Because I fell in love as a DJ,、uh, I fell in love with the sound of the 80s and I also fell in love with the magic of the power that was present in the music making in the 80s. Whenever I make music, it becomes that sound by itself. Somewhere along the line, somebody said, Oh, that's synthwave you're making. Oh, really? I said. <laughs> It was a, a, an epiphany because up till that moment, I had never known exactly what kind of genre I was making. Obviously, it's synthwave. But for me, synthwave is 80s inspired synth based music, which 
actually spans a load, a lot of, of genres, including reggae and rock and synth pop and electro and funk and, you know, the entire spectrum. Many who are new to listening to synthwave probably think that synthwave is the midnight. Right. Which is great. But for me, it's a much larger world. Do you listen to any modern synthwave? Yes, I do. It's it's inevitable, but to be honest, um, not very much. Uh, and the reason for that is I don't want to become a loop of what other people are doing. Okay. Uh, you should know that I've 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 ghostwritten music for people, and I've also made custom design music for commercials and stuff like this, soundalikes and things over the years that I've gotten paid for. So what I'm trying very hard to do is to keep my art clean. And to do that, I try to get not so much inspiration from what people are doing right now, <laughs> kind of looking backwards and still keeping my roots intact in doing what I'm doing. It's um, apparently very easy to start copying others, and I try not to. What do you listen to then? I guess, what have you listened to? What are your influences? That's a very long list. <laughs> the obvious ones would be Kraftwerk, Human League, Depeche Mode, David Bowie, uh, Prince, uh, Jean-Michel Jarre, uh, Yasu. Well, it's such a long list and it also includes uh, inspiration from, from reggae and from rock. I mean, like I, I like a lot of ACDC and uh, stuff like that too. What comes out when I make music is all the inspirations I have from all these different angles. I let, I let all my tracks evolve by themselves, but they are, they are processed through my inspirations and my knowledge uh, and also what I'm feeling. I always tend to to tracks like plants in a garden. I, I sow the seed and then return to it, you know, water it. But I never know what it's going to become when it grows up. Okay. Other people decide that they are going to do a track that sounds like this and that. And that's a no-no for me when it comes to my art. So when you write a song uh, that's just yours, um, where do you start? It's very different from track to track, actually. Sometimes I come up with some lyrics I want to write uh, about a topic, as it were. But many times it starts off with uh, just fiddling around with a bass line or, or some chords or some cool drum beats or what have you. Uh, and then as soon as I feel like I'm not bringing anything to it, I leave it. So I always have like, you know, 20, 30 different embryos that I return to. And at some point they become alive and um, want to fulfill themselves. So I go mm -hmm. into I get, go into a mode of timelessness and finish it. So you could just have a song or a bunch of songs just sitting there for a while that you come back to, what, yeah. months, years later? As I said, it's like gardening. Uh, you sow the seed, be that a bass line or a chord progression or what have you, but then you leave the seeds and then you return to them a bit, a bit later and uh, work with them for a while. But as soon as I feel I'm not contributing, I shut the file again and I return to them, return to them. And suddenly something happens and one track reaches critical mass of sorts and I get dragged into the rabbit hole again and finish the track. 
What does it feel like when you know you're done with the track, rather than we'll ever come back to it again? Very liberating, I would say. Um, like, how do you know when you're done? It's it's an opinion. It's a matter of opinion. It's a, it's a decision, really, uh, because you're never really done. But then you can't spend forever on each track because you will never have anything to release. So the way to do it, I've come to the conclusion, is to decide a release date. And then you have the time frame when, when uh, it, sh it must be done. And then you spend more and more time uh, when it closes up to the release point. But then you release it. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a deadline sort of approach. Do you thrive under pressure or something? Uh, yeah, I would say. I do too. <laughs> I wrote a track about, about immortality in 99. It was actually played on MTV back in Ooh. the day when that mattered. Um, <laughs> and in that track, I, I, I start the track with a, a scientist coming on the radio and saying that they found a way to extend life as much as 200,000 years. And when you let that sink in, I'm going to be alive for 200,000 years. There's no stress anymore, right? You don't have to achieve in the same way. So you can, you can procrastinate forever. And I think that will be the death of art. I, I think that would be the death of creativity. I think deadlines is um, very important to creativity. I can see that. Yeah, without a deadline, it's just so open-ended that maybe that person won't apply themselves. Yeah, I'll do it later. And later in that perspective would be like, uh, I'll do it maybe in 10,000 years. Who knows? But I think we live our lives with deadlines. I have to achieve this before 20, before 30, before 40, before 50. Then there is an obvious deadline, you know, when life ends. So it's about checking off the list, the bucket list of things, I think. <laughs>
that you win I tell you this life is mine And I'm going up the hill And beyond the I'm gonna go on ahead Bring me what I've got Regardless So I tell you go on ahead Give me your best shot I dare you Because I'm gonna go on ahead Bring me what I've got Regardless of what you gonna say What you gonna say So, when was your your last in person live performance? Uh, that was actually August two thousand nineteen. I did a concert in Gothenburg in Sweden. At the turn of twenty, everything changed. So all the plans were postponed indefinitely. It seems you'd said something to me about wanting to tour stateside at some point, and I think that barely got talked about before this all happened. Uh, in, in, in the early days, um, before live was a thing for Synthwave, I was asked two times to come to the United States to play. I turned those offers down because the money did not even cover me traveling over there. But then I decided, nah, I don't care. Um, next time I'll, I'll, I'm getting asked, I will say yes, and I won't care about the money. And I was asked again at that time, I think it was in Texas. Yeah, it was in Texas, uh, Houston, I think it was some festival. And I, I was going there, so I started to buy, you know, fly cases and stuff to, to travel with my, my gear. The problem was that that festival was um, blown out of the sky, so it never happened. And then I decided, okay, next offer I get, regardless of where, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it. And I was offered to do a concert in, in um, Austria, in Vienna. Uh, so I did. The problem is that I couldn't fly with all the gear I wanted to have on stage. So me and a friend, we made it a road trip. And it's kind of a long road trip back and forth. It's like 2,500 kilometers. So I come to realize that that's not such a brilliant idea. So I started minimizing what I should have on stage. And... Today, uh, I can actually travel with a guitar, a laptop, a phone, and a very small mixer. Um, and that I'm good to go. I'm flight friendly today. But there are no flights. Yet. <laughs> Yet. We'll come back. We'll have you. One cool thing that has happened uh, after the last live performance is that I now have wireless MIDI, working wireless MIDI, uh, giving me uh, the possibility to run across a stage without any wires. Nice. So that would be cool because before that, uh, there was always the risk that I would stamp on, on the cable and suddenly everything would freeze, uh, wouldn't work. So uh, without any wires, I'll be like Pinocchio. <laughs> 
So when did you introduce the uh, kitar to your act? Uh, in two different eras, as it were, because I had a kitar back in the beginning of the 80s. But I never used it as a kitar, just as a bass synth. But then when I started thinking about doing live performances with what I up to that moment had regarded as, you know, a studio project, Damocles, I thought, you know, just standing on stage playing a synthesizer is boring. I mean, like, you just stand there. Then I revived my, my thoughts about kitar and uh, I started looking around. Actually, uh, the first time um, a kitar was in my hands in modern day was when I was doing a photo shoot for Damocles. So I borrowed one. <laughs> I didn't buy one. They're quite expensive. So I borrowed one and uh, did the photo shoot. And then I realized I need to have this. So for the next live performance, that Vienna performance, I, um, I bought one. And uh, then I bought another one. So uh, I have the latest Roland monster now. Yeah, very big and heavy. Yeah, I always imagine those things look heavy. The, the most guitars are, are rather narrow, not so many keys. Uh, mm. But the guitar is uh, a full full size keyboard, so to speak. So it's uh, brilliant. Are you open to more um, like live stream shows? Absolutely. Um, it takes a while to prepare for one, though. My problem is I don't remember my music, so <laughs> for every time I need to rehearse my music and uh, especially the lyrics uh, seem to have very hard times getting stuck in my brain um, I forget uh, so it takes a lot of preparing and also to make a set you need to prepare each and every track for it uh, because imagine you have the recorded work now you're going to play it live obviously you can't play all the instruments uh, at the same time so you need to decide what to play live so you need to make a version without those specific things that you will be playing live. Uh, and then you make, need to make a setup with those instruments for you to play live with. So it takes a lot of preparing. But I've done it in t on, t on a two-week notice once. Um, wow. Uh, I was awarded for one performance last year. The story with that is I, I just was releasing uh, an EP called Hyperwave. And I was asked if I wanted to to be part of a virtual uh, festival, so to speak. Uh, that was a two-week notice, so to speak. But yeah, I said, of course, because I'm a, uh, sort of a yes man when it comes to that nowadays. I've just released this EP, so I want to promote it. And then I have to prepare those tracks and actually learn how to play them. So over a period of two weeks, I prepared the tracks, learned how to play them and made the show that later became awarded, so to speak. And when I did that show, I had seen a few live streams before. I thought, need to do more in order to make it give some feel when doing live performances streaming. Because most people stand in front of a camera and just play. And it doesn't give feel, um, not to the ones watching it and certainly not to the ones performing either. So I imagined a crowd. And I, in order to, to make that imagination work better, I, I added the sound of a crowd, applause, shouts, uh, screams. Uh, that was actually part of the mix that was playing behind me. So I got the feel of a live performance and I think that shows. Was that uh, different from preparing for a, a live show on stage? 
Technically, um, both yes and no. Um, same preparations, but the difference is I had more gear on stage, which was actually my basement floor, um, than I could have on stage if I should travel anywhere because um, it was my basement. <laughs> so the live performance I did was uh, with loads of gear, but that could never happen if I should travel because nobody can pay for freighting uh, that kind of load. But um, then it was the matter of preparing all, all the audience sounds and stuff like this, and also obviously preparing for going live and testing that technology so that it would not fail. One thing that is definitely present is a Damocles sword of failure when it comes to working with technology. I've been on stage when nothing worked uh, minutes before uh, it was me on set and working very stressfully to, to fix it. And when it comes to a live stream, it would be very sad if uh, the technology didn't work. So when, when it was your turn, it was just uh, nothing. I was pleased that it worked, but so many things can go wrong when it comes to technology. So it should be better just playing an analog instrument that will work every time and just play for human beings being present. But that's not the case. Yeah, that's not very synthwave. <laughs> no, not at all, actually. And so when uh, when did you start feeling like your style was developing, aside from the music, just the look that you're presenting? Because you know, you're not just some guy up there in a t-shirt. You know. I actually had that down way back in the 80s. So that was uh, not a big brainer, actually. I was a DJ back in the 80s, so uh, the style with a white jacket and and uh, a fringe and cool shades. Uh, I've actually put a picture up from back then where I look more or less the same, a bit more worn today, but, you know, style is still there. Was that part of the David Bowie influence? Uh, people used to tell me back then that I looked like David Bowie and I tried to explain to them that it was the other way around. They didn't believe me. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I always loved this, his style. He was a game changer when it came to bringing style to music, I think. Oh, yeah. So yeah, he influenced me a lot, not just when it comes to music and so forth, but also when it comes to style. Um, but I could just wish to reach his level. Uh, as a DJ, it was when he, he came with Let's Dance that he really became part of what I was doing because the stuff prior to that, apart from fashion, I think, was not really usable on a dance floor. But uh, he commercialized himself very much with the track uh, Let's Dance. He did say something during an interview that I think was very profound and good when it comes to, to uh, being an artist. Uh, he said that you should always go so far out into the water that you cannot feel the floor be below you anymore, but still know that it is there, just centimeters below you. So just move outside of your comfort zone, but close enough to go back. Does it make sense? Yeah, <laughs> it makes it, it moves. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the ground was uh, so much higher up when I was young than it is today. So today, my comfort zone is, is rather wide. Well, goodness, thank you so much for, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Stay safe. COVID-19 is not a joke. Even if you get it more lightly as me and my wife, it's still a bastard thing to, to go through. That's right. How are you feeling now? Are you completely over it? 
I'm not completely over it, no. Uh, but uh, I would say this is week number six, and I would say I'm I'm at ninety eight percent. But then you know so- suddenly uh, your brain drops down to into a black hole, and you can't think anymore, and and they have to climb up again from that. So it goes up and down, like you know. But it is a very nasty virus. Take it easy. Um, regarding my music, I haven't made anything for six weeks, and I'm hoping to start uh, making music again. Uh, I'm starting to feel like making music again. That's a good sign. Uh, so maybe in May, June, there will be a new release. Who knows? Yeah, well, don't do it before you're ready. No, absolutely nope. take care of yourself. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be like tracks. I feel like shit, still feeling like shit, and I wish I could feel better than shit. Uh, a three-track. <laughs> well, I, I hope you continue to feel better, and I hope your yeah. motivation comes back before too Absolutely. long. Absolutely, yeah, but I can feel it. Uh, it's coming back. So awesome. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you for for coming on the show. Thank you for having me again. Um, it's been great talking to you, and you have such a fantastic voice and such a calm way of talking so it's it's great thank you but anyway it's been absolutely great and i love what you're doing for the scene um thank you i mean like uh, i can be doing music as much as i want but if nobody hears it what's the point you're probably more important for the scene than the people making the music i don't know not to me <laughs> I wouldn't be here if not for you guys. <laughs> no, but that's great. It's a kind of symbiotic um, yeah. framework of it. But um, a, a tree fell in the forest. Nobody was there to hear it. Did it make a sound? It's a Zen <laughs> Buddhist thought. And um, I, I'm, you know, the guy, you know, chopping trees in the forest, but nobody's there to hear it. So without that audience, it's uh, kind of pointless. But, you know, you came out with a really good EP. And you got another one coming up this year. Hopefully you'll feel better by then. Well, the plan is actually to release three things. Three? This year, okay. As I did last year. I, I released two EPs last year and one album. Bits and Pieces 3 was um, number three of, of um, releases where I released like, you know, 14 tracks that have not been released for different reasons. I have material for at least two more. So there is no particular order. There is no particular concept over bits and pieces uh, it's just you know um, me polishing up tracks and releasing them so that they don't occupy my mind on a shelf the plan is two eps and one album this year i'm looking forward to it thank you so much by the way this has been fun thank you for having me uh, let's play off with another track from gravity i've played this a couple times on the show uh, it's probably my favorite This is uh, Damocles with Astral Projection. And once again, thank you. And um, I want you to have a good night. The same to you. 